0: Six Five Four Three Two One How about we do it
1: again? Six Seven Four Three Two One I
0: think
1: <laughs> okay. I'm it. Okay, let's try one more time I definitely
0: Like him with you. Make him review. Like him review. Say six. Six. Five. Five. Four. Three. Two.
1: One. Hello and welcome to the two hundred and forty-third episode of Rankin Review Horror Remakes with your special guest, Mireille Smith. Um it's been great to hear from her. We haven't uh, had her on the show for quite a while, and this is a fun list that she selected of horror movie remakes. And, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. As usual, you should go into the podcast, understanding that's going to be spoilers for the six movies being reviewed and of course language, most likely from me. You can send your feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. I drop the podcast every other Wednesday. And in time in between, if you're looking for something to jam in your ears, check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show and the Terror Table Podcasts. They are friends of mine, and they're worth your time. Now let's talk about some horror movies remade. Mireille Smith is back on Rankin Review, and it's very nice to see you. Long time no see, girl. <laughs> nice to see you. I'm turning the volume up just a little bit for you. Uh, so, you messaged me out of the blue, and uh, were saying, gee, I'd really like to do another Rank and Review, and this Remakes episode looks really interesting. And I was so thrilled. A, because I didn't have to pester you to do the podcast. You volunteered on it, and... I don't think this would be one that I would just, you know, be happy to hand over to someone. Like, the fact that you volunteered helped. (laughs) I think the two least popular selections are, like, sequels and remakes. And um, I think that both of them become loaded with horror fans. So I guess I will start by saying, what do you feel about remakes, and what do you want out of a remake that you're watching? Well...
2: Maybe I'll just start by saying that I didn't use this list because I have any particular feeling about remakes, really, either way. It's just because when I saw The Fog, I remembered that I think that might have been the very first horror movie I ever watched, eighty John Carpenter version, when I was, you know, would have been, I guess, I don't know, seven-ish, eight-ish years old and was told to go to bed and did not listen (laughs) and then got caught by my mother and, you know, was told, you're going to have nightmares and I thought, no, I won't. I'm old enough to watch this and, of course, I had terrible nightmares and, you know, would have, you know, for months and months, the fog was haunting me. Just just the fog. I didn't even remember what the story was about. So, um, that said, I've only seen, I think the original, like, not counting Fog, because I don't... couldn't say that I really remember it, aside from that. I think I've only seen one of the originals of these. Okay. So... um, And this remake of that movie didn't pay off. (laughs) So, I guess what I want from a remake is... Or, and I've heard you say this before that you know you should do a remake when you can make it better than the original when maybe the original wasn't as good as it could have been or you know was just not not good at all then yeah try a remake um, even I don't mind you know when a different country wants to remake a movie like I remember the vanishing um, but that one was weird because it was basically exactly the same movie just in a language and in a different country so I don't really like that either so I guess I don't know I don't often don't see the point of doing a remake most of the time and I'll say too that I am a person who loves comfort watching things so I can just watch the original of something I like 10 15 20 times and that's good for me I don't know why you would make a remake if you don't need to
1: See, I'm split right down the middle in it, because there's part of me that right absolutely agrees with everything you just said, especially if it's a really solid movie, why mess with it? But a lot of my favorite horror movies, as it turns out, are remakes. There's a trilogy of remakes from the 80s, The Fly, The Thing, and The Blob. I think all three of those movies are amazing. In fact, like up there with some of the best horror movies of that decade. So
2: that's true, but they were improvements, right? They improved especially technology.
1: So what I want is you to bring something to the table to justify your remake. Don't just make it because it's a name and you can make money off of it. Make it because you can do a modern take on it. You can update it in some way. Or you can bring something to it to justify. This is why we needed to make The Fog again in 2006 or whatever it was. Uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah, and The the Fog is not a horrible pick in a way. It's not... It's not like the top tier John Carpenter horror movies. It was the one they did right after Halloween and it didn't do as well. And it kind of had a mixed reputation. So, who knows? Maybe you could improve upon it. But, I mean, I'm going to argue that they didn't. Maybe you feel differently. (laughs) Um, But that's closer to it. Like, remaking Psycho, I don't see what the point of that is. Remaking Jaws, I don't see what the point of that would be. Just make a movie about a crazy person, or make a movie about a shark. Don't burden yourself with trying to measure up with something like that, you know?
2: Yeah, and I don't even like... Well, I shouldn't say I don't like the movies. I just don't like defaulting to the idea also of remaking a movie because you're making the girl version. Right. Like, I'm all for, you know, oh, let's, you know, women, of course, have all the same great talents you know let's make a movie with them whatever you want but to just remake a movie because oh girls can do it too yeah. i don't can't, don't really support it and if it's a good movie okay great good but it's always just going to be the girl version of that movie anyway
1: just do it for a reason like right. if you're going to do an all ladies version of ocean of 11 i mean you can do that but for what purpose what, what what does how does that change the heist picture that they're all women because i i couldn't answer that i couldn't answer that question having seen the movies is my point and and don't just do it for the sake of doing it like a gender swapped back to the swap back to the future has been discussed and like can you imagine how horrifying that would be if a, a, a girl went back to future uh, to the past and her dad was aggressively trying to pursue her That shouldn't be worse, but it is. It just (laughs) somehow is, right? (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know how we we wandered down this dark alleyway. (laughs) Also, before we get started, funny story. Um, I was pulling all the movies off the shelf for this list to uh, do my due diligence and watch them. And so I messaged you a picture of them on my phone, and I brought up the messages to remind myself of the six movies and when I put my phone back in my pocket I butt dialed you at like seven or something in the morning. Like it was way too early for you to be receiving a call from me. So I was already at work. You were already at work. It worked out, but I can't imagine like why is Larry calling me right now who died, right? Like Jesus Uh so I just wanted to publicly apologize to you for that. I felt really embarrassed about that. It was just one of those weird things that happened.
2: I was fully I would have just ignored the
1: calls (laughs) is there anything else you want to say uh, about these movies or about remakes or about anything in general before we uh, list off the movies we're going to review and and do the podcast
2: well I just wanted to ask you because I don't know if you're going to mention it during each separate review but have you seen all of the
1: originals for all of these I have seen every movie the original and of course the remakes for all of these yes um, not, I, mean, I didn't rewatch them all much. specifically for this podcast, but I, I have seen the originals for all of them. Yeah, right. um, so I, I will. That may factor into my enjoyment. To be to be fair, sometimes if I am invested in the original, I will have a little bit more of a grudge against a, a sloppy remake. And uh, maybe yeah, that's fair. not fair, but I'm at least going to acknowledge that it's there. All right. So the six remakes that Mireille wanted to review. That she specifically <laughs> to review her rank and review. We have The Fog remake. We have The Haunting remake. The Grudge, starring Buffy herself, Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, the remake of The Eye. The remake of Thirteen Ghosts. And speaking of John Carpenter, John Carpenter did a remake of Village of the Damned, and we'll finish with that. Mira, thank you so much for being there. It's great to see you. <laughs>
0: Get off the island. Why? Just go. Somebody out here?
1: So there's a lot of sad things to say about this Fog remake, but I think the most sad thing to say is that I believe this is the last production uh, credit for Deborah Hill. Uh, she passed away before the movie was released, but she was a long-time creative and personal partner of, of John Carpenter, and she produced a lot of great films, both independently and with him. Like, uh, I don't know, I, I she's kind of an unsung name, but a lot of the horror nerds out there know exactly what I'm talking about and why I bring it up. So. There's something nice I can say about this Fog remake to open things up I guess. Um, I guess I understand the selection of the Fog as a movie to be remade but uh, if you look at the track record of Carpenter movies being remade they haven't done super well. But it's a very sort of classic form ghost story. There's a tragedy that happened many years ago. This boat was uh, deliberately sunk to a, a have the area avoid a leper colony being settled there. They deliberately sunk the ship. They stole the riches from the wreckage and used that to be the foundation of this town. A hundred or so years later, the timeline's a little bit fuzzy in the in the remake, but uh, the chickens are coming home to roost supernaturally. This supernatural fog shows up and the descendants of the people most directly involved are being directly haunted and targeted. And that story is pretty close beat for beat to what Carpenter presented. And as much as The Fog was originally sort of considered a meh, average C-plus horror movie when it was released, it wasn't necessarily that people didn't like it, but coming off of Halloween, I think people were expecting to be rattled. And it was just a different kind of horror movie. I will say I think this version of The Fog fails pretty much wall to wall in every scene (laughs) as far as creating an atmosphere of like genuine dread that is that's not just something made out of cheap jump scares the director made a movie before this called stigmata that was at least much more competently made where he was trying to deliver a jump scare it actually worked whereas in this movie you felt it coming so completely that i don't know and i find myself a little bit at war like In some ways, they gave us more depth to certain characters. They gave a history to some of these characters, which were not given in the original, which as a description should make the movie more interesting. But I don't know. I got worn out by all of the flashbacks, and I was really confused at how this movie, full of death and zombies and ghosts and whatnot, was trying to give us this, quote, happy ending full of death and doom and evil prophecy. I guess I can say it's quick, it's 88 minutes, and it's professionally executed, but it went right through me. I felt nothing watching this movie. So um, that is not high praise, but I am happy to hear a second opinion.
2: (laughs) We're pretty much on the same page for this one. Um, And, yeah, it, it was kind of shocking that it was so... Um, I mean, I didn't want to use the word boring, but it was kind of boring. But because the, you know, the effects of the fog and a lot of the visuals were, you know, pretty high standard for a shitty movie, you know? (laughs) And it was was just odd that way. And you were talking about the depth of the characters, you know, having a little more history than in the original. So I was wondering if... um, because they kind of gave us backstory on the current characters, but kind of for no reason. And just to use up time, like you have, oh, the girlfriend who comes back to town after being away and runs into her boyfriend who is, you know, trying to go on a booty call, but, you know, oh, girl's back. And then we go visit her mother who they're clearly, you know, kind of hate each other, but we never find out why. So, who cares? You know? I mean, I guess we can have that scene where she's at the end of the movie happy to see her mother when the shit's hitting the fan. Like, was there any other reason than that? It just seems so pointless, all of these little characterizations.
1: I mean, maybe she was coming home to fulfill the destiny. It wasn't about rekindling her relationship with the ex or repairing her, clearly fractured relationship with her mother but there was a prophecy that was going to be fulfilled whether she knew it or not she was being drawn back and it was so but again play oh sure
0: sure
2: i just thought that it was like what they showed us on the way was just kind of superfluous
1: yeah no i I, and i agree and a lot of the times when you think oh this is going to come up later it really doesn't there's a scene where a character locks himself in a freezer, and he says that the fog couldn't get him in the freezer. So I clocked that. Oh, that they're gonna—that's gonna come up later. No, 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 it's not gonna come up later at all. <laughs> well,
2: and that guy's been accused of killing um, the other people on the boat. And yes, we see him being interrogated by the police and stuff while he's in the hospital. But there is just no jeopardy no. after that. He runs away from the hospital, and that's all. <laughs>
1: I also didn't like that character, so it was hard to invest in him. He was supposedly, like, the comic relief character, except everything that he said that was supposed to be funny made me angry somehow. (laughs) And there's this terrible scene where they're, like he's hanging out on the boat with these two girls and they're, like, dancing, floating in this, like, disgusting fishing rig offshore. It's like, this does not seem like a really good time to me. This is just, like, gross. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be judgmental. It was so, no,
2: it was so eye-rolling, that scene. Yes. Just,
1: yeah.
2: um, and also the, yeah, just the... It was really confusing that they weren't able to create any tension, um, you know, with all the visual effects and stuff. But part of it too was the acting. I mean, the main character Maggie Maggie Grace is That's that her right? Name? Yeah. She, you know, I mean, I don't know that she's necessarily a bad actress, but one scene where she's woken in the night by a noise, she gets up to go investigate, and there's actually a not bad effect of you know, dripping footprints on the ceiling that she's kind of following. But she doesn't seem surprised or scared that this is happening. She's just kind of, huh, look Mm -hmm. at that. And she, you know, follows them out. And of course, she's in her underwear, puts on a sweater, and goes outside to investigate in her underwear. Like, everybody would do.
1: Well, I don't want to be mean to Maggie Grace. She can say the lines, and she doesn't bump into the furniture. But I think... What gets her parts is that she's beautiful. I, I mean, I, if that's unkind, I apologize. But, I mean, she's mainly known for uh, the first couple seasons of Lost and the Taken franchise. I was going to work in a cheap joke when we talk about the end of the movie, when the ghosts take her away, that maybe a ghost Liam Neeson could come to her rescue in a, in, a, in an <laughs> ill-conceived sequel. But uh, don't make a sequel to this movie, please. <laughs>
2: There was one visual effect that I really liked actually though um, at the end when they all end up in that little museum and the windows are blowing out and everything's happening there's these glass pieces that kind of explode and the glass kind of rotates around a character for a little bit and then you know um, crashes into him. Yeah. That's a great description I know but that was
0: cool <laughs> looking
1: it's hard to if you I've seen it so I know exactly you nailed it but uh (laughs) again there's a character I was saying they gave us more for other characters I I think they kind of underserved the the preacher character um in the in the original one he finds out this false history whereas in the remake the Maggie Grace character does and he kind of accepts his faith and tries to take himself as a willing sacrifice on behalf of the town you know uh in this one he's just a drunk who gets killed and we don't care Mm. (laughs) <laughs> like,
2: Well, yeah, and there was that weird scene where Maggie Grace, you know, has she's found that book in the boathouse, and she goes to the priest for help, but she doesn't explain her purpose, she doesn't say anything, and the first thing he says to her, he looks at the book and he says, I can't help you. Well, she's asked for help, but she hasn't explained anything. And that's his first and last word. I can't help you. I'm taken off. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess that, you know, didn't need to waste any time there.
1: But, again, uh, there's a few points in the movie where I could say, like, they definitely paid attention in the first movie and tried to course-correct certain things. I always thought it was weird that the radio DJ in the original, her son was home alone, so she broadcast over the radio. Someone please go rescue my son. If it's my kid... I'm getting in my car, and I'm going to go rescue my son, right? And that's what happens in this version. But there's no rules to these supernatural creatures. Like, there's a scene where a lady's doing dishes, and the hand pops out of the sink and grabs her, and it seems just by touching her, she disintegrates and is, like, one of the claimed victims. And But other people are touched by the ghosts, and that doesn't happen. And, Maybe
2: they're not part of those families. Yeah,
1: where they appear, how and when, like they're after that little kid for sure. And there's a, there's a, I don't know, he's got a family history with it as well. But it wasn't clear cut to me what the rules of these creatures were. And I, I guess if it's a problem, it's a problem shared in the original. In the original, it seems like everything stopped. And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. They didn't fulfill everything in the prophecy. And then the big twist is, oh, here they are again. And yes, they're fulfilling the prophecy. The twist this one goes for is that, like, yeah, the epic tragedy that starts this ghost story is awful, and, like, they were wronged, so their vengeance is considered some kind of a positive victory, but I don't feel like anybody who is being murdered here deserves to be murdered, and I don't feel like Maggie Grace going to live this zombie Pirates of the Caribbean ghost life in the the ocean is better for her than where she was when we started with her at the beginning of this movie. And if I felt like it was uh, a destiny for a character that she was embracing, or the other way, that she wasn't, but that she was helpless to and terrified, like, neither of those things happened. That's how I don't feel anything. Scene after scene happens. People die. Revenge takes place. Ghosts show up. And I just... Straight-faced. Nothing's happening. Yeah, but now
0: that
2: we're talking this through, like... The ending, it doesn't make sense because she, even if Maggie Grace, you know, becomes the ghost and becomes his wife, like his wife died.
1: She died in the original tragedy, yeah.
2: He's abandoning his ghost wife to take on this new, young, living, newly ghost wife. Right. How does that make any sense? But as soon as she arrived, all their skin cleared up, so maybe that's what her purpose
1: was. Right. They were less zombie. You're right. I'd forgotten that, but it's a pretty forgettable movie. I and it's unfortunate that this was the entry. This is the one that you wanted to watch <laughs> to get you to watch this this podcast. So <laughs> but unfortunate. But I, I'm not going to pretend that it's something it is not. Um, I've and run out of things errors to say about. Too. I'm sorry. Say that again.
2: Continuity errors too. Okay. <laughs> like the um, at the beginning when they're driving through town um, big, you know pulses go through the air and his truck windows shatter and then the next time he's getting into his truck it's all fixed and I don't think he took the time to go down and you know get his windows replaced and later on in the movie after they've rescued the kid and they're driving through the fog and stuff is happening they the truck crashes and they show Maggie Grace in the truck kind of you know, having her whiplash moment, right. but then later on, not she's in the middle of the road. You know, help me, help me! But she didn't get thrown from the vehicle. They, she was in the truck. So, yeah,
1: sloppy. Not good. Sloppy. Yes. Uh, and uh, I think one thing, and it's it's a Maggie Grace thing, but we're gonna see it in other movies too. In this list. People waking up in the middle of the night looking fucking fantastic. (laughs) Like, (laughs) makeup, hair, amazing. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, and I would cry bullshit on that, except uh, this, sorry, this tangent, but um, Dolly Parton goes, washes her face at night and redoes her makeup, goes to bed with a full face of makeup because you never know when she's going to have to be, you know, called upon, and she wants to look good at all times. So maybe these people are living like Dolly.
1: Well, Never know. I guess there's worse people to base your your your, your, your life off of. But uh, anybody yeah. involved in this movie has made bad choices. There once was a house. A bright, happy home. Something bad
0: happened. Now it sits all alone. Is this where you're going? That's Hill House. It's perfect, isn't it?
1: You all suffer from sleep disorders. My job is to find out why. What's the deal with the Adams Family Mansion? I gotta be honest, I don't get a real strong
0: sleep vibe from this place. Don't you love it here? This is so twisted.
1: Calling it an insomnia study allows me to create a highly suggestive environment to observe the dynamics of fear. You don't tell the rats, they're actually in a maze. I just think Dr. Marrow's up to something.
2: Have you ever kept something to yourself because you were afraid?
0: All the time. Ah! 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 I'm sorry. You scared the f-
1: All right, so the haunting is based off of the Shirley Jackson's Haunting of a Hill House, which is one of the best novels on the subject of haunted houses arguably written, at least in the English language that I'm aware of. I'm a big fan of it. And I'm a big fan of the movie from the 60s, which is gonna be a problem going into this movie. Uh, It's also funny, this movie came out in 1999, which was an insanely good year for movies. So, like, even the bad movies were kind of spectacularly memorably bad. Deep Blue Sea and The Haunting remake came out this year. Okay? (laughs) So... It's directed by Jan de Bont, uh, and he was a very capable cinematographer throughout the, the 80s and early 90s, and then he directed a little movie called Speed and a little movie called Twister and a little movie called Speed 2 that we'll just forget about. <laughs> but, like, Speed and Twister, say what you will, uh, maybe they're guilty pleasures, maybe they're not, but they're amazingly well-made thrill-ride movies, I think. Twister's not gonna teach you anything, it's an incredibly dumb movie, but all of the thrills work. So when I hear that Yann de Bont is going to be directing this haunting remake, I don't know, like, he can definitely deliver action beats, he can handle special effects movies, he can handle a budget, but horror is a different kind of thrill. Horror is a different animal. And <laughs> The novel and the 60s adaptation of the novel dealt in subtlety and psychology, two things that Yann de Bont just was not built to deliver us. Okay. Uh, it's amazing how it's a cast full of people who I, as a rule, like I'm not the biggest Catherine Zeta-Jones fan, but I don't think she sucks in the movie. Uh, I usually like Lily Taylor, but I do think she kind of sucks in the movie. But it's not scary. And worse than that, it's not interesting. And I don't understand the changes that they make. By, By having the Liam Neeson, the Doctor character, not just investigating a haunted house, but lying to them all about it being a haunted house and having it be, like he's doing a terror study but he's telling them that they're there for a sleep study or an insomnia study it it, Why? why and it makes us not like him who's a character that we should at least if not like anchor with like he's an important component of the movie and he becomes not quite a secondary villain but like that's how he's set up i don't know it's supposed to be this visual spectacle and this sort of jump scare carnival ride, but I don't remember a single jump scare that actively worked for me. And I can say that, yes, I'm impressed with some of the set design and this CGI effects are dated, but I will begrudgingly say for the time, some of them do the job, but generally speaking, I found the movie infuriating. The first time I watched it, I thought it was one of the most, like, aggressively frustrating, like, completely missed the point and boat of the original story remix that I'd ever seen. Watching it again now for the podcast, my hatred burns less bright. But again, I cannot find any merits to recommend the movie. I mean, if you're a fan of cool cinematography or set design, turn the sound off and play your favorite album or something, but dear Lord, for a movie full of, or at least a story full of great characters, great suspense, and great supernatural like twists and turns, this movie is endless, and once again, I, the, the gr- worst curse you can put upon a horror movie, kind of boring. That's where I start on the Haunting Remake. (laughs) So, uh, yikes.
2: Yep, I pretty much agree with you, with everything you just said. I wouldn't go so far as to say that Lily Taylor sucked, but, you know, I think it's not her fault.
1: Agreed.
0: um,
2: That her character was stupid. (laughs) But she, I mean, she was supposed to be naive and stuff and cute, and she did that and stuff, but, yeah... And again, we have a situation. and This is going to come up again in one of the other movies. But the comic relief character is, well, Owen, Owen Wilson in this point, in this um, example, is just annoying and just totally out of place. He just seemed like he was, you know, a cartoon character in a real life drama. You know, it was just weird. I didn't.
1: It, it me, wasn't didn't fit Owen Wilson' at role. All. He was Owen Wilson playing Owen Wilson, and he didn't seem to know why he was there, and that's because there was no reason for him to be there. <laughs> his character well, doesn't contribute enough, anything. He's
2: kind of the... so, I'm sorry I interrupted you.
1: No, I just said his character didn't really contribute anything in the end.
2: Right, except that he was the only person who kind of clocked what was going on <laughs> early on. I guess
1: he but. sensed that Liam Neeson was full of shit quite correctly. I guess he, he did sort yeah. of play that note, but look in the original novel, Eleanor is this incredibly fragile woman. Her entire life has just been an ordeal. She's getting her first taste of freedom. It's like, she's a, a, a an naive teenager exploring the world for the first time, except for she's like 33 or something. And, uh, this is the great adventure of her life. This is this, thing that she's been waiting for, something that's really gonna happen to her. And the house latches onto her and, and wants to take her in. And the movie turns it into Lily Taylor needs to free the children of the ghosts by sacrificing herself to the house. Like she gives herself to the house, she's not taken by it. Like it's like they took all of the good ideas of the novel and said, How can we fuck it up? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I understand that that character is meant to be vulnerable and impossibly naive and just such a, a raw nerve of need and love. Like, she falls in love with everybody she talks to within the first few minutes, you know. She just need, need, need. And that can be wearing on an audience. But if you have a really good actress and a sound script and you're selling this character who has a real purpose and a real a journey to go on, a place to go to then you'd think Lily Taylor would be the girl who take us there. I've seen her do great things in the past. So I am going to side with you and say that it is the screenplay, but something about it, she was driving me crazy. I was having a hard time being sympathetic towards Eleanor. I wasn't understanding her decisions. And in, in other passages in the book or in previous incarnations of this movie, I just chalked it up to her fragility or to her naivety and just pitied her instead of being, Jesus, girl, why are you doing this?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aside from the statues moving, which just did not look good or creepy or scary at all, um, there was a really weird scene where um, Lily Taylor has climbed up these winding stairs to kind of a i don't know like an overhang thing and for some reason everybody else thinks she's in danger she doesn't look to be in danger she's just standing there she could climb back down if she wanted to but liam neeson decides that he's gonna go save her yeah. so he starts climbing this you know this rickety winding <laughs> metals stairway thing that starts falling apart he keeps saying trust me come on come on so she's gonna leave this place of Relative safety to jump on this falling apart scare- staircase with him
1: and he's the biggest, heaviest, clunkiest guy yeah. up there, like if someone has to climb the ladder, send Owen Wilson or send you know someone lighter way. like she made or it up say the, to her come Ellen down
2: perhaps you should come
1: down yeah, yeah there's plenty of different better ways to handle it, and uh, that's the movie through and through <laughs> I hate to sound like a heterosexual male, but in the original <laughs> novel, and in the 60s version, there is an implied sexual tension between right. the Lily Taylor character and the Captain Zeta-Jones character. And I think it's barely brushed at, but that is one of the things that a modern interpretation of The Haunting of Hill House could actually legitimately explore. Like, it maybe wasn't fully explored because it couldn't be at the time. They end up sharing a bed because they're scared and they don't want to sleep separate, but there could be more to it than that, and they could have played with that, and I would have appreciated it. Yeah,
2: yeah. No, oh, I agree. They were a teensy, tiny, teeny bit flirty when they first met, but that's it.
1: Yeah. And Catherine Zeta-Jones was way too in love with herself to allow anyone else access. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe that's why she clicked with the character because Zeta Jones herself has that reputation. <laughs> so again, I don't know. They did. Mike Flanagan did a Netflix TV version revisiting Hill House. It's not exactly an adaptation of the novel, but it's like about the family who owns Hill House, and he does such a better uh, job of like exploring the ideas and the vibe and the psychology. I mean, granted, he had 10 hours to do it and they had two here, but I think maybe Yann de needed to sort of understand where his strengths were. He's really good at directing action and he's really good at, you know, knowing where to place the camera in specific, certain tense scenes. Like, I don't buy a lot of the CGI and yeah, the rickety uh, staircase sequence is objectively ridiculous as described, but it's well shot. It's well executed. Like, it's not incompetent which kind of makes it more frustrating (laughs) like
2: yeah yeah it's just hard to i don't know oh i meant to ask i was gonna look this up but i forgot like i couldn't remember if that family history angle was part of the original story or not or was that an addition like that she was related to the
1: no i don't believe that she was related or if that's the cue i don't remember that specifically like she was one of the children who had escaped and whatever but uh I do feel like she had a destiny. The original movie of The Haunting from the 60s has this huge dump of uh, exposition at the beginning. Like, the first eight minutes is the history of Hill House, when it was made, why it was made, the tragedies that happened. Like, the he built it for his uh, fiance, but she died... Just as she laid eyes on the house, and people who worked there committed suicide, and an old woman died in a very similar way that uh, Eleanor's mother had died. So there's all these things that are sort of they they play it. So they took that history, and that's what they kind of built the Netflix show off of. But they have a modern family inheriting the house, and
2: okay, yeah. with and that I couldn't history. remember either if um, cause I remember liking Mrs. Dudley. <laughs> in the original but did we get more of mrs dudley in the original because in this one it was very brief
1: no she's she's very brief but she there's a just amazing performance in the original film of her the way that she smiles at them when she before she leaves and in the night in the dark it's just a thousand percent better executed but i would not want to be cast in that part in the remake there's just no living up to it it's one of those right. things that it was so perfectly executed in the original the smart move was to not try like when they yeah. when they redid the texas chainsaw massacre they didn't bother with the hitchhiker because they knew they weren't going to out crazy that hitchhiker it was foolhardy to try right so they changed it and Those are are smarter moves. But this was not a movie. All of the changes hurt the story and kind of insulted the story. I remember watching it in the theater and when the CGI sculpted hand grabbed Liam Neeson and dunked him in the fountain. And that was his, like, conclusive, okay, it's all real, supernatural, like, I was like this, this should be a breaking your mind sort of moment for this character, not only as a man of science, but as the position that he's put all of these characters in. And Liam Neeson does not suck as an actor, but that scene just does not fly. Like, like, well, that just happened. Seems to be his reaction. And same with the audience. Thumbs down. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And just one final thing. Um, Just watching through the movie, I got the feeling that the first time the statues move, it was kind of meant to be a surprise, you know, even if it wasn't scary or whatever. But I watched the trailers to just kind of jog my memory before this. They show you absolutely everything. So even if that was one thing that could have, you know, maybe been a nice uh, surprise to a viewer, totally ruined.
1: No. And I think that the kid ghosts could have worked, but less would have been more. I think instead of those heads fully turning, if their expressions just changed subtly from shot to shot, or a little bit of like the curtain faces or the the, the hands in the sheets or whatever, but they just drew it out so long. Yeah,
2: I liked the I liked the curtain faces. Um, I did not like the full sort of ghosty apparitions that came out that looked very (laughs) Casper-y
1: and weird. This was not a movie that needed to be remade. And if it was to be remade, I think it needed to be handled with a lot more respect and tact. But that's just me.
0: The whole time I was in that house...
1: So Sam Raimi wanted to contribute to uh, sort of helping introduce the West to sort of Eastern horror movies. And uh, part of that was just redistributing some of them, this side of the ocean, and part of it was remaking some of them in English language to make them quote unquote more accessible. Uh, the Grudge is a little bit more on point, I think, at least for its production in that it. It kept its production overseas, and it kept the original film's original director. So, they're paying a lot of respect. They basically said, we're going to give you a bunch of money, and we want you to make The Grudge in English. So, The Grudge is sort of a hybrid haunting curse movie. It's... (laughs) uh, There's... Like in The Ring, you know, once you've watched the haunted videotape, you're kind of screwed, unless you can solve this supernatural mystery. In in this version, if you go into the wrong house and you see either this creepy little kid or this creepy woman, the grudge curse is upon you. And as far as I can understand it, there's not a lot of cards you can play <laughs> to get yourself out of it. The conceit of it, I'm not sure if it was invented for the movie or if it's based on some sort of tradition, forgive my ignorance, is that if somebody dies in a particularly awful way, they leave an imprint of themselves and their fury and their resentment, and that it sort of spawns this echo chamber of tragedy, and anybody who goes to the place where that tragedy took place has the potential to be affected by it. It's not a guarantee, but... Probably want to avoid the place anyway. I think the film deals in the uncanny and the weird, and it has, I guess, a David Lynchian sort of vibe. Um, I'm not a huge David Lynch fan, but I can get behind sort of an uncanny horror scare if you're using the weirdness to like make me go, "What the fuck was that about?" In a way that makes the hair stand up, as opposed to just why, (laughs) you know, leaving me asking why, and. There's a lot of strong images in it and it there doesn't seem to be a lot lost in the translation because they kept it in its own culture, at least for this movie. As the series goes on, at least in the Americanized movie, of course, the evil grudge spirit moves to the United States because then we can be much more afraid. Uh, anyway, I go right down again the middle. I have better feelings about this than the first two movies that we talked about, but... There's kind of a pointlessness to, these, to all of the grudge movies once you kind of understand the quote-unquote mystery or the story of it. Like, people are going to see uncanny, creepy things and eventually be taken by this ghost. Repeat. That is the movie. That That is the movie in its entirety. And uh, they, they try to keep it guessing a little bit. There's a suicide at the beginning of the movie and we come around back to it so we understand why that took place. But... I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm sort of hypnotized by the movie at times and there's definitely moments of creep to it, but I've never quite felt that the grudge lived up to the reputation for me, both the original and the remake. I, I think ring did for me and, and black or dark water did for me. Uh, but the grudge always less so, but in the list of remakes that we're talking about here, I mean, I'm not going to be anywhere near as hard on this one. I mean, the assignment that this director was given, he, he fulfilled. He delivered that sort of Eastern horror vibe to the American audience fairly effectively. It's not my type of movie 100%, but if it's your type of movie, it will work your nerves. And it obviously did. It was a big hit and it spawned three sequels. So, um don't take my word for it uh i will say it's a thumbs up but it's to me okay not in any way amazing and i realize a lot of people seem to think it's amazing uh where does mick land again pretty much
2: exactly what you said (laughs) um I I really like some of the uh, the images um, little kid especially you know I really like that um, mouth open wide screamy wide-eyed weirdness that gets me and I liked this the elevator scene too where you kept seeing him on every floor I thought that was really cool really well done um, but and you know I, I liked um, the sort of procedural pop thing on the side too because I like I like crime drama, so right. yeah, sure. Give me the give me the cop angled cop story, but we didn't really. That didn't um, go very deep, and even though I I liked the character, and you know, I thought it was nice that he wanted to set the house on fire. <laughs> 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 you know, <laughs> going above and beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just kind of was unfulfilling, really. Um, let's see what else. Yeah, the. The thing that it kind of fails at, even though you said that it was faithful to the original story and movie, I guess it's just that the original story just isn't that interesting. You know, like, it's just the guy who found out his wife was fascinating about someone else and lost his shit and killed her, you know? Yeah. I mean, and their child. Yeah. And their child, but. So as far as story goes, I guess I want a a
1: little bit more. Well, and it's funny, the original gives us less. The original is just more like the inexplicable haunts, and uh, the why is less important. I think that they felt in the remake that maybe it would be more valuable to, maybe for for us Westerners, or maybe just to mix it up a little bit. But the the original oh. feels more like a series of vignettes of people who have encountered this grudge ghost and bad things happening to them. Whereas this one tries to hang a story on it, but I don't know how, how successfully.
2: Yeah, maybe that was a mistake because it just makes it seem like too common a story. Right. Um, I forgot to tell you that I didn't. I did not watch the director's cut, okay. and you said you had what the director's cut. So yeah, what are I, the?
1: I don't know. I honestly, it's been so long since I've seen it. There is three minutes difference between the two. So oh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I don't think any major plot points are changed. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure someone on the internet will wag their finger at me, and i will just choose to live with it. <laughs> okay, but uh, no, I think that the basic a b and c is there i think the director's cut just has a little bit more um again i talked about in previous reviews about what are the rules of these things of uh, of your particular universe or do you have them and that's something that was definitely occurring to me in this one the where's when's and how and these things uh, appear i don't don't think it seems to matter it's sort of like asking yourself why the little kid makes a, a cat sound when he screams It's just that's what the little kid does and deal with it. And that is, like I say, the uncanny Lynchian thing that sometimes works for the movie. But um, there's no puzzle to be solved in that respect. Even if you find the solution, yeah, the ghost exists because she was murdered, witnessed the murder of her child before she died and, and, you know, had this terrible, terrible fate. But that's great that you know that you're still being haunted by this ghost it's still going to kill you and it still doesn't really matter that you figured that out and in a lot of other ghost stories and and uh, uh, these movies have recognized it the ring most famously uh we've seen so many of them that we know once they find the remains of the the wronged spirit that everything's going to go back to normal everything's going to be good or once we know why this is happening that they'll be released from the curse and the grudge never gets you that that's sort of the point (laughs) like Mm -hmm. we are just bad feelings and retribution and there's no talking to us but for that level there's no talking to the movie there's no engaging with your villain beyond that so it's kind of hard to believe that they've managed as many sequels as they had like Sadako is creepy looking. She looks really weird. And the way the the bone cracking, the noises she makes. And she finally is shown coming down the stairs. It is, you know, an evocative horror image. I understand why people are into it. I I get it, but I... I've never lost any sleep over The Grudge. it's never got to me. Whereas I, I, when I was introduced to The Ring, which was with the remake, I was like, this is like a next-level ghost movie. Like, it felt like a ghost movie that I'd seen before, and then it became a ghost movie that I hadn't seen before. And uh, The Grudge, I kind of, is approaching that. But, uh, I don't know, for me, I, I'm more of a you dude. What can I say? <laughs> yeah,
0: and I
2: didn't like... I guess it's a personal hang-up of mine. I don't like it when they don't let us know what characters are saying. So I don't speak Japanese. So there were scenes where, you know, the Japanese cops were speaking amongst themselves, and we didn't get um, captions for that. Right. You know, and I don't think that denying us that dialogue is heightening the tension or anything like that. I'm just annoyed that I can't know what they're saying you know and so i don't know why they make that choice
1: unless it had been a choice that were a theme within the movie part of her problem was that you know she was seeing these inexplicable things which we, she was having trouble explaining to herself but the language barrier was preventing her from explaining it to other people like the fact that she wasn't at her home and it wasn't her culture and it wasn't you know she was already out of her comfort zone and then this happened oh
2: yeah I guess I guess what they're sort of making us experience how her feeling of isolation and stuff blah 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 but she can speak Japanese at least a little
1: yeah and but that's just it I would say if they had played that beat then that would be more justified but they kind of didn't or if they did that right. was uh, a lot of it was left on the cutting room floor but in the end it in the end it doesn't matter and i think that that's the truth of a lot of scenes like we bill pullman and uh, clea duvall we see their backstories and what happens to them but really all of that time spent on them it doesn't really matter in the end you know this is all leading to the same place in the end and can i spoil the grudge too for you
2: Go
1: ahead. <laughs> at the end of the first act of The Grudge 2, Sarah Michelle, Michelle Geller's character is killed off. Nobody. What? I'm sorry. Spoilers. Uh, nobody can escape this thing. Like, you see it, you're fucked. The end. That is the movie. And I think we, or at least I, needed more. Yeah. Good enough? So the Eye, we have another remake of a, a, an Asian film. I'm not sure was the Eye Korean or Japanese. I don't remember. It's been so long. <laughs> Haven't seen it. Forgive my ignorance, Internet. Um, Jessica Alba starring in this remake. And uh, when I reviewed the original for the the podcast, it was not my finest hour as a, a critic because I uh, hit on this sort of thing that it, it, it was almost like an origin story for a superhero. In, in the original movie she she was blind, she got these new eyes and found out that she had these like superpowers she could she had premonitions, she could see dead people all of a sudden these eyes were, were they were sort of a mixed gift and curse and how was she going to learn about it and I sort of reinterpreted the horror movie as an origin story for a superhero, and uh, as a result sort of failed to mention all of the horror aspects within the movie because I was a little bit too too in love with my own sort of take on the movie um this movie doesn't feel that way it doesn't feel like a superhero origin story uh jessica alba t- plays the main character and there's a kind of a debate that goes on about uh jessica alba as to is she another maggie grace does she get cast because she's pretty or does she get cast because she can act And it's a tough one to answer because I've seen her be good in movies and I have seen her be terrible in movies. And this one sort of lands in the kind of middle, in the sort of bland area for me. Um, The movie indulges in something that I've noticed that uh, almost every Hollywood movie that involves blind people does, though. Notice that all blind people in movies are beautiful. They're like Audrey Hepburn or like Val Kilmer or, or, you know, they're just always super pretty people who are blind, and I I don't know, I hate to be the cynical asshole guy, but I don't know that this blind woman gets up in the morning and does her makeup perfectly and has her hair just so, to put out to the world. It it seems strange. Jessica Alba seems like a strange choice for this role in that they want to use her for her her beauty in that way, and I don't, maybe I'm naive, maybe blind people are super conscious about that, or I'm, I've. It's just something that I clocked as I was watching the movie and was distracting me. She has had an injury. I believe the movie is implied that an accident happened involving her older sister, Parker Posey. They never outright say that she blinded her sister, but I think she blinded her sister. Um, And Parker Posey has become successful, and again, I think she's been basically helping her sister her whole life out of guilt and love. Gets her these retina or cornea replacements, cornea camera, eyeball replacements. I don't. Know. <laughs> and her her vision had. is is uh, restored, and she starts seeing strange things and starting to back treadle the 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 case. Who donated these eyes? Why is she seeing what she's seeing? What's the purpose? Is there a mystery to be solved? And it's it's adequately executed. Like. I, there are things that have had me frustrated. Like, if you're gonna have Parker Posey in your movie, use her. Parker Posey is fucking amazing. Like, use her. And when you have a story like, is they they really undersell that that relationship between those sisters. There was a lot of meat to chew there if they chose to, but they just chose not to. They chose to focus on these weird flash images of what's what her perspective is and what she sees and what of that is real. And again, I've seen this executed better. There's a great nineties thriller starring Madeline Stowe called blink. And if you like the conceit of this movie, that is a much, much, much better version of it. So it's not horrible, but there's just nothing here to get super excited about. It is flavorless. I don't get mad at it. I'm not shaking my fist the way I did a little bit with Fog and The Haunting. But there's a good story here. There's good characters here. What happened?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I really am into the conceit. And I would. I really like the idea of, you know, receiving somebody else's organs and then having weird shit start happening. Right. I like that. And But... On the Parker Posey end, I totally agree that they did nothing, and I thought that they should have... Well, I mean, I guess we're not here to rewrite the movie, but (laughs) I really didn't like the, the doctor. You know, he's so unprofessional and abrasive, and I get that they're trying to give us the, you know okay, somebody doesn't believe her thing, like, if we need to have those scenes, sure, but why didn't they put that with the sister instead? You know, if they need to have that, put it with the sister and have the doctor be a professional. Yeah. You know, someone who doesn't yell at his patients because she's not recovering the way he wants her to. I just thought that was, I didn't like his character at all. And then you know, when he finally decides, oh, I believe you, I'll drive you to Mexico.
1: Mexico. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I didn't yeah I didn't like that but on the other hand I did think the actual story was more interesting than a lot of the other ones and and yeah the effects were well executed and everything else
1: where do you land on Jessica Alba because I again I, I just don't know
2: <laughs> I thought she was fine okay it didn't stick out to me as think you know like you know if I'm comparing her and Maggie Grace as you brought up I would you know give jessica abba way more points than okay. i would give maggie grace but but yeah i mean again same thing i said with lily taylor but i don't think that necessarily her blandness was her fault i guess yeah. kind of her character was seemed to be written in such a way that there wasn't much more to add maybe
1: yeah.
2: i'm not an actor so i guess i can't say how much more you can add <laughs>
1: Well, just trying to bring variety to it. If you're not given variety, it it, it makes it a taller order, but I I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's sticky. I feel like there's a a lot of missed opportunities here. I've (laughs) fallen down a few weird YouTube rabbit holes, but you can see videos of like people who get cochlear ear ear implants turned on and they're hearing for the first time and like just having their entire world rediscovered and blown and sometimes weeping because they can't believe how much they've been missing out on and right she hasn't seen since she's a child and like there's this scene where like she's having the bandages taken off and she's gonna take in the world for the first time and like that's that could be an amazing powerful scene and it just kind of sits there for me here again it's just like the relationship between the, sis- the two sisters like that could have been really powerful if they just tried a little bit they were much more interested yeah. in the hyper editing super weird visual like interpretations of what she's seeing while her eyes are adjusting to the new world and the difference between what is reality and what is either ghosts or premonitions and what do the eyes want from her and that's when it gets really sticky entering into the third act was she there to find out the fate of the person who donated their eyes to her or was she there to save people from this catastrophe that was going on and why and this is true in both movies is she blinded at the end of the movie and that considered somehow a win mm-hmm. yeah well I think that she doesn't
2: until she's discovered the uh, the donor until she's discovered who the donor is so I mean she's her quest begins just to kind of find out what's happening and she thinks the answer will be with the donor so I don't think she's you know she's not pre-programmed for all of this saving people stuff but yeah. when she's in the moment she decides that's what she needs to do um, and I think in this kind of story, rightly so, because you have to sort of solve your solve your thing before you can move on. With regard to her being blind again at the end, but now she's not wearing her sunglasses anymore, so I guess she's accepted that this is how she's meant to be, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a little bit trite.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I guess from, like, the writing beginning, middle, and end, and start, start where you finished, or finish where you started, I understand the inclination, but... I don't know, I think that it's almost more interesting for the character again, like, these eyes should be a gift, but they become a burden, but she accepts them for both the good and the bad. It would be like if in the sixth sense, instead of teaching Cole to cope with seeing dead people, he just gave him pills so he didn't see dead people anymore, <laughs> you know? it. it, well,
2: it yeah, it, I didn't. Mean
1: it just sort of takes away some emotional resident or potential emotional residents, you know, like I think, yeah, either way she ends off. She's this strong, powerful woman. She got through this supernatural mystery and you know, she doesn't need her eyes to be all that she can be. She's a capable musician, blah, blah, blah. I get it. I get it. But I think it would be as or more interesting to see her complete that journey and no longer be scared of her power and embrace her new vision and embrace the world. And, hug her sister and see her sister and uh, forgive her sister and her sister believe her. Like, again, all of this stuff that should be in the movie that just isn't.
2: Yeah, I didn't think of that. I like your your ending better.
1: <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all movies would be better if I wrote yeah. them. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, there always has to be one
2: theme, but, you know, I'm rolling my eyes out and... Ro- for this one, it was when, uh, of course, she's outfitted her apartment with lamps in preparation for her seeing, but when she starts seeing all these visions and stuff and wants to go back to the dark, she just is in a rage and uh, frenzy and knocks all the lamps to the floor. I mean, she could have just turned them off. I mean, I know she's not familiar with lamps necessarily, but, <laughs> like, you no, wreck no. everything all the time just because you're in a heightened, you know, emotional state, I think is just... I don't get it. I'm just not that way. I don't want to have to clean up after. I don't understand these outbursts that people have. I don't like it.
1: No, no. Don't destroy your own house. That's not productive use of your emotions. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, again, her wanting to go back to being blind is her, like, sort of retreating and saying, no, I don't want to deal with this. I want to be safe. I want to be, you know, weaker somehow. And I think her retaining her sight at the end would have been stronger character beat. But... I guess I'm just repeating myself now. Yep. Anything else you want to say about the eye?
2: No, I didn't have anything else. (laughs) What the hell was
0: that?! You're wasting your time.
1: It's all sealed up.
0: This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine. Powered by the dead. Maggie! What? We got company. Wait, I can't see. How close is it? Close enough to hurt you. go, go, go! go, go, go! To get me killed I guarantee nothing
1: of all of the remakes that we we're talking about uh, 13 ghosts is by far the one that I was the least invested in uh, I watched actually on YouTube the original 13 ghosts and it's super cheesy super kitschy and frankly I must confess super uh, forgettable The whole thing about the original movie was when you were in the theater, uh, they had these ghost glasses that you would put on in order to be able to see the 13 ghosts, right? I don't know if it was a 3D effect or whatever stupid cheesy thing that they were selling in the theater, because it was just, that's how they were doing business. I like that in this version of it, they don't ask the audience to put on the 3D glasses, but the characters in the movie have to put on glasses in order to see the ghosts, within the movie the 13 Ghosts remake resembles the original in almost no way except for that there's a guy who collects ghosts and people are sort of taking a tour of the house in the remake they've inherited this house Tony Shalhoub and his kids and the, his sassy nanny <laughs> are, are brought to this, this house which has glass panels everywhere and uh, incantation written on the glass and yes as the story progresses a bunch of ghosts held prisoner within. The thing that this movie did, that none of the other movies that we're going to talk about did, and that I appreciated, is that it had some fucking fun with it. <laughs> okay? Like, I'm not going to be, like, enthusiastically thumbs up on this movie. It is dumb, but to its credit, it knows that it's dumb. And... I just decided to not fight this movie and consequently was able to laugh along with it instead of at it. I do think on another day in, a, in another bunch of movies, it probably would end up lower on the list. But, I don't know, they, all of the different ghosts have pretty cool designs and characteristics to them. Um, I find the editing, the sort of uh, video editing style, kinetic kind of irritating at times but it's so specific to the time that this movie was made in I kind of understand it and it's it's familiar to me I wish that they would calm it down a little bit but it's very on point for movies of this time you got Matthew Lillard going way over the top which is what Matthew Lillard does (laughs) and uh, actors who are way better than this movie needs like Tony Shalhoub, Elizabeth, uh, sorry, uh, M. Beth Davids, pardon me, and F. Abraham, they are far better than this material. And I think they know it. They think they're cashing a paycheck, but they try to have fun with it. And me feeling their joy of just having a cheesy fun time with it makes it easier for me to have fun with them. Can I pick holes in it? Are there irritating character beats? Is it cheesy? Yes, yes, and yes. But so far of the movies we discussed, I think this is the most successful at being what it wants to be, which is a dumb, fun, escapist horror movie. So a conditional recommendation on that basis. Sounds like you disagree?
2: Well, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't think it succeeded as much at being fun maybe from my point of view i guess i guess me and this movie got off on the wrong foot because it has just one of my biggest pet peeves right in the title i just hate it when they decide to do this alphanumeric look how you know edgy we are cutesy spelling and stuff, and I will make an exception for the movie 7, which has the number 7 in the middle of it just because it's such a great movie, but this movie having a 13 in the middle of it, (laughs) I don't like that.
1: But is that really enough to spoil the meal?
2: No, I'm just saying that (laughs) that's the first thing that's the first thing, you know that's where we started. Um, And then that opening sequence where Matthew Lillard is just way, 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 way over the top. That's, I, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't find it to be fun and entertaining. I just found it to be very grating.
1: The whole opening opening takes place at like a scrapyard and they're like
2: spraying blood
1: all over the place. And uh, Matthew Lillard's like, we're all going to die, man. This is a bad thing. This is bad. I, Matthew Lillard is a very okay. distinct sort of vibe. You have to be careful how you cast him. And even if you cast him well, I understand some people just don't vibe with him. Uh, you got to be careful yeah. how you cast him. Scene to scene, some scenes he works better than others in this movie, but I'm giving Lillard a pass.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I wasn't ready to give him a pass. All right. And and I get it. I get it that, you know, that's probably how he was asked to play it, even whether that's his the way he does things or not, you know, like I understand that on a intellectual level, but it just I didn't enjoy watching those over the top performances. And I'm the same way with Jim Carrey, right? I just want him to turn it off once in a while. Right. So it's just that's my thing. You don't like but, the
1: overly big acting and that's what that dude does.
2: Yeah, and when he finally calmed down at you know later on in the movie, which he does a little bit, you know, then you know, I thought it was fine. It was was okay. Um, But yeah, I thought the house was really cool. I really enjoyed looking at all of the, you know, machinery and artifacts and stuff that were there. But both in this movie and in The Haunting, there was almost the exact same scene where you know the characters are moving around the hallway, exclaiming at what a what a beautiful house this is. This is so great, and there was even a oh this bathroom is amazing. In both the movies there was an amazing bathroom scene, <laughs> but in this movie it um, brought up another one of my pet peeves, which is you know that they're showing us something in the background that the character doesn't see. So in this scene, she's loving the bathroom, she's looking in the mirror, she's like playing with her hair. Fine, but then. The ghost comes in behind her and gets in the tub, and so, ooh, scary ghost is in there with her, and she doesn't know. But in order to show us that, she has to keep staring at herself in the mirror and playing with her hair for just a ridiculous amount of time. <laughs> and I know she loves this bathroom. And then she goes to rinse her face in the tub just because the ghost is in the tub, and ooh, that's scary and gross. But why on earth
0: would, would she rinse? rinse
2: her face in the tub? Yeah. Like, I don't know, that's just it's just lazy they could have found a, just a better way to execute that
1: i think you're asking hard questions of a movie that doesn't do, doesn't seem to really willing to withstand them uh i don't understand why they love the house so much it's all glass it would be like living on display in an aquarium or something like that it, it, it looked up. yeah
2: but maybe it has maybe it has those uh, you know like nowadays they have remote controls where the where the glass, you know, becomes frosted or something. That's what I would, that
1: would would have been my assumption. Or doors that would just automatically close and open randomly so you wouldn't, you'd have to take a different route to get in and out of certain rooms. Just seemed like a lot of work.
2: Yeah, it's true. And the house did eat their key. So I was wondering how they were going to get back in again if they left. But
1: But again, just the, the house had to be designed that way for ghostly reasons. Don't think about it. Uh, going back know, to this <laughs> going back to the scene in the bathroom can uh, can let's let's get a little uncomfortable here make, uh, can we talk about the titty ghost a little <laughs> okay um, here's something that I've seen in a lot of horror movies where they have like <clears throat> some weird S&M feature I mean the Hellraiser is the most obvious thing of it like, or Return of the Living Dead 3 where they have a really hot girl but She's got like spikes sticking through her hands and and slices on her body and there's all this gratuitity and it is like she's super hot but she's like bleeding and full of open wounds and in earnest, what the fuck is that about? <laughs> like, I guess like there's a there's a the disjunction between the quote unquote eroticism of the nudity and the violence, but like. This is not an isolated thing. I see it a lot in horror movies.
2: Well, Larry, I'm surprised at you. Hot people die too. It's true. I mean, what do you want?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, in the DVD, there's special features, and you can learn the history of all the ghosts in the in the house. Everybody has an interesting oh, yeah. interesting backstory, and all of that. Um, I can't even remember hers off of the top of my head, but uh, I think that they all they spent a lot of time on the ghosts that was just for the creators. Like <laughs> when we see the big monstrous hammer ghost, we don't need that he used to be a circus performer, but they needed to know it for themselves. I just I yeah, just Yeah
2: and they they give us a little bit of a you know, when they're flipping through the book right. they give us a very brief kind of rundown of why each ghost was collected. But and I did like the you know, the monster design or whatever you're gonna call it. They did look no. Pretty cool.
1: The conceit of the glass doors and the words on them to keep the ghosts in bay is good. I like that they used the girl, the doors to slice the lawyer in half.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, you don't see like a full bifurcation like that every day, do you? No.
1: <laughs> and again, like it, it's memorable. It's not amazing, but like you just it. I I smiled, even as grim and disgusting as it was. I was like, "Well played, ladies and gentlemen. Well played." And, you know, it's beats like that, enough of them in the movie. And the fact that it was just having fun with it. I think, I, I guess the somberness of a lot of the other uh, stories we have, like, there's not a lot of room for levity in the grudge or in the eye, but <laughs> they can get away with it here, and it goes a long way to uh, letting me forgive some of the rougher edges. Yeah. Well, I really like
2: the little kid. I like that the little kid was totally into death and stuff like I think kids don't get enough credit for being spooky like plenty of kids are spooky little people
1: No, I, I had three nieces r- around quite a bit when I was younger and, and little kids specifically little girls conspiring together they're creepy I'm sorry I'm not going to sugarcoat <laughs> that shit three little girls locked in a bathroom giggling to themselves they're up to no good
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: Oh, another thing that was weird, though, you're going to be mad at me for bringing up stupid shit again, but they made a point to tell us that Tony Shalhoub a math teacher, and the only place where they showcased his math skill was that he added up to 12 when he was counting the ghosts. Like, ooh, good thing we got a math teacher. Like, why? Why bother?
0: Oh, well,
1: so and weird. if they're so financially, like, on the edge of ruin. How are they affording a live in housekeeper? And why was that character so irritating to me? <laughs> oh,
2: she was irritating. She started out okay, but she got more and more annoying as the movie went on.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I know we were supposed to like that character, but I I, I just didn't. I don't know. <laughs> she she again the movie could get away with the person dropping those lines undercutting the stakes. Like, they they could get away with her character, but I don't know if it was a performance or the script. That was one area of it. She was my Matthew Lillard (laughs) in this movie, I guess. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and we can get to the third act again, with F. Murray Abraham reappearing, the, the... he, the real uncle isn't dead, and the 13th ghost was Tony Shaloub's wife, and blah, 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 blah. It's ridiculous. And the big spinning engine machine in the heart of the house is ridiculous. So the fact well, that I'm that still that the with ghost the movie. Sorry? Yeah, and that, the go- that, and that the ghost
2: hunter lady really is in league with, uh, with the big baddie all along.
1: Yeah. Doesn't matter. I mean, other than she has an impressive wish death doesn't matter we don't really care and the movie oh is, yeah the movie is getting progressively more and more ludicrous but like i was saying i think it's to the movie's credit that uh i never threw up my hands and said oh come on <laughs> i was just like <laughs> just shoveling the popcorn in and like it's not particularly memorable but it's silly you know <laughs> yeah i just wish
2: i guess what i'm looking for in a Silly horror movie is for it to not be also annoying. Right. I want it
1: to just be silly and fun. Well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Part. It definitely has a percentage of annoying. It does. For me, it's like the flash cutting, and again, unfortunately, the sassy black character. But uh, uh, again, none. neither of those things were enough for me to sink the movie. I'm giving it a conditional thumbs up if you're in the mood yeah. for something dumb and fun. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I get that all those some um, cuts were, you know, were meant to feel lost in the house, just like the characters are. But there were plenty of times where it was like, oh, weren't they meant to be in a basement downstairs? And now they're right beside the circle room? And <laughs> I don't know. It was it was not good confusing. It was annoying
0: confusing.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's say this is a mixed review of 13 Ghosts. <laughs> okay. At precisely 10
0: a.m in a quiet seaside village, something happened. Something unexplainable, something unbelievable. There's a lot of pregnancies, much more than would normally be expected. All the pregnancies seem to date from the day of the plant. Oh no. This town is about
1: to discover that looks can kill.
0: There have been a few casualties. I should say accidents that might be related to contact with the children.
1: My daughter was involved. Who are they? (gasps) They have one mind that they share between them.
0: Father?
1: Let us pray.
0: You've been discussing us with Dr. Verne. What did she tell you? You're hiding something. The police can't do anything to stop the children. Get out while you can. There's something so much more powerful than we'll ever be. What are you gonna do? The only thing that we can do. You can't stop us, you know. Don't try.
1: So, The Village of the Damned is a remake of a movie called The Village of the Damned, which is an adaptation of a novel called The Midwitch Cuckoos. And I think that the premise is rock solid. And since John Carpenter's directing it, I kind of came into it when I originally saw the movie in the early 90s, quite excited, on board and it hurt me because I ended up walking away pretty disappointed originally. Like, if someone was to ask me where it would rank in in Carpenter's films, I would say pretty low, honestly. Coming to revisit it, on one hand, I actually did find a lot more to like in the movie, but on another hand, it really does stand out in Carpenter's work as feeling tactically a little bit cheaper and more slapdash than a lot of his movies did, and not fully embracing atmosphere. Earlier in this episode we talked about the remake of The Fog in John Carpenter's Fog the first ten minutes of the movie we get like shots of the, the town all over the place and eerie supernatural events happening, setting the tone like really letting it sink in and he can do that and in this movie the premise, like everybody in this small town falls asleep simultaneously. There's this border around it and if you cross that border, you fall asleep. You're a part of that. And the powers that be, the government at large, basically quarantine the area and trying to figure out what's going on. But no, no easy solution comes to. And then everybody wakes up. The barrier seems to disappear. Problem solved. Except no. Every woman within the barrier of age to bear children is now pregnant. And the horrifying emotional weight of that and the repercussions of that is almost entirely skipped over in the movie. They seem to be in a terrible rush to get to the creepy white-haired alien children. Which, to be fair, has some entertainment value to it. But the first act of this story is so full of terror and psychological poison that this is where you make your meal and set the table for the rest of the thrills and i think if that had been handled better the rest of the movie would have worked significantly better but because they seem to be in such a hurry to get to those kids a lot of that is missed and it's surprising he did this movie called the prince of darkness which is like kind of a zombie movie when you break it down But again, before it turns into a zombie movie, he spends 50 minutes getting into the vibe and the tone and the feeling. This is something that Carpenter can and has done, and he chooses not to do it here, and it's mystifying. But what does work, basically, I think, which I might have uh, dismissed in my disappointment in the past, is once we do get into the movie, I started to get a little bit more involved. As much as I was disappointed that they didn't again make a proper meal out of the setup the creepy kid stuff works better than i remembered and the second half of the movie does start to get more of a pulse but it's hard not to consider this a missed opportunity considering the quality of the story and the quality of the director but whereas i used to say it was kind of a bad movie and disappointing upon revisiting i'll say it's disappointing but it's watchable it's not it's not the bottom of of his catalog it's just it remains a kind of curiosity and a a missed opportunity i think that's where i'm starting
2: well i guess i agree with what you're saying um and um i had seen this movie but a long time ago i didn't remember much about it but i remember thinking that this movie is really cheesy and then When I rewatched it, though, I actually, I think there's a lot to like, and even though it does have kind of, or maybe because of the fact that it has this kind of made-for-TV quality almost, I just found it to be really, I found it that charming, actually, and I really, um, I don't know, I thought there was a lot to like, and, you know, just up a bunch of moments, because when is this set, like, mid-90s, early 90s, or something, but, you know simpler times when doctors smoked yeah and you know i don't
1: know
2: i just uh i enjoyed it
1: yeah i i did superficially enjoy it and like you say you hit that right the the tv movie vibe it wasn't a tv movie but it really does at times feel like that like there's almost insert commercial here moments at times and it has a bit of a tv cast i mean christy alley's in it obviously but uh there's something i don't want to talk ill about christopher Reeve, but there's a little bit of like car salesman to christopher Reeve. there's something like i don't know like he he never disappears into a role the dude played superman he's a movie star he just sort of i don't know uh He's not bad in the movie, but he never vanishes. He's Christopher Reeve. And uh, yeah. Kirstie Alley, once again, I think she's good in the movie. Uh, she might have been crazy as a person, but I do think Kirstie Alley had game as an actress. <laughs> um, yeah, I do too. She, she chain smokes through the whole movie. <laughs> and again, I don't know if that was written into the script yeah. or if that was just Kirstie Alley. but. Uh, <laughs> It is interesting to think, what would the powers that be do about a situation like this? And uh, she offers money to any woman who uh, wants to keep the baby, and she offers free abortions for anybody not wanting to keep the baby. They don't go out of the way to make her a villain, but you do get the feeling like she knows a lot more about what's going on that she's letting on. Right, and I
2: found it refreshing, frankly, that, you know when she was having her town meeting and offering up abortions, we did not have that scene where a, a character jumps up all righteous and yeah. says, the Lord, you know, whatever. So uh, thank goodness for that.
1: Yeah. Uh, there's also, Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the actress here. She played Natty Gann in the journey of Natty Gann. She's uh Meredith Salinger. Meredith Salinger. Thank you. She has this yeah. really thankless role in the movie where like, she gets pregnant and it causes all these issues with her family and then the kids say awful things to her and she ends up committing suicide and uh, i either feel like more needed to be made of that or way less needed to be made of that i just wasn't sure what that contributed where where that area of the the story happened again if you weren't going to pay that attention to the psychological damage or to the fear of the pregnancy and all of that why, why just whittle it down to that one character right
2: well I thought that the purpose of that was just sort of in order to um, I thought it was characterization for the um, the boy who didn't have his partner so because it's kind of because of her that we see that he's maybe developing empathy and that he's maybe like different from his you know alien brothers and sisters he
1: is an outsider to them yeah
2: yeah
1: yeah but so, again, I, mean, I don't think we ever manage pity for that.
2: Kid. <laughs> I don't know, I mean just because you know his it's through his mother that we're seeing him, and yeah. you know she's prepared to sort of try whatever she has to to kind of free him from his purpose, yeah or his you know. I thought he... Yeah, I I did feel a little bit
1: sorry for him. I thought, I think he has a bright future, Larry. Okay, good. Um, I wasn't sure. sure. Uh, Those kids were creepy. We don't like them. But uh, the the tragedy and the weight of the tragedy, I think, is underserved. Like, a teenage girl found out she was pregnant and ended up taking her own life. Christopher Reeve's wife, after her daughter makes her boil her own arm in a really well-done scene, (laughs) uh, commits suicide and, like... I don't know. I felt like we needed to sit in that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, I do agree with you that, um, especially what you said before about the psychological horror and everything not being given enough weight. But I did enjoy all of the different deaths that the people were subjected to and yeah. the children, and it made me wonder: like, are they, are they kind of just taking from the minds of the people there? committing to death for how they're doing it or are they imagining oh i want this um caretaker dude to walk backwards up the ladder and then you know (laughs) fling himself off stab himself into
1: uh, a rake
0: yeah
1: well it seems like child logic that's that's a thing that a child would think of maybe Uh, also the pg tv aesthetic pays off when it suddenly becomes really graphic and grim for just a split second and you, right. like yes. all of a sudden you'd that "Whoa, where the shit did that come from,
2: yeah, like the dude at the the first dead person we see who happened to be um, barbecuing grilling hot, hot dogs when everyone fell asleep, and of course he fell asleep face On down grill. onto the barbecue
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and uh the that one character falls asleep in his car and, and gets exploded there's a lot of accidental deaths that that happen as a result of of the the falling asleep but yeah yeah. the another thing that doesn't get mentioned in this that is in the uh the the source material is that midwitch is not the only community that this is happening there's like several communities around the world where this is happening simultaneously Well, they, do? they do
2: mention it. They, they mention it, and that the, those towns were destroyed. Yeah. I think, if I remember correctly, that's how they introduced that they're going to destroy this town if they can.
1: If it if it comes yeah. to that, yeah. Right. Okay. Sorry, I misremembered yeah. that. Um, yeah. But I think the apparatus of the government around it. Once we slowly start to realize how big this this thing is, and that that there's these creepy kids to represent uh, all over the globe, like. Um, you feel the ticking clock like yeah maybe christopher reeve was able to save this town but this is happening all over the place um there was a sequel to the film called uh children of the damned which i'm sure i will at some point get around to reviewing but uh, uh they didn't get around to remaking it i feel like i was focusing on the negatives it mostly does work i just i don't know there's I have a little bit of reservations. The glowing green eyes and the white mop tops on all of the kids sort of splits me down the road. Is it creepy or is it silly? It's right, right riding the line for me. It's kind of like in the Firestarter when Drew Barrymore's hair starts to flutter is like uh, yeah. I see what you're going for you guys but I just not quite sure and I've never been 100% quite sure about this version of Village of the Damned and that makes me uncomfortable because I love John Carpenter <laughs> so yeah. he did make in the Mouth of Madness in the same year and that movie is amazing <laughs> so uh, maybe <laughs> he was Weird, right? Yeah, maybe he was running low on, on steam or I don't know. I don't know. I'm or making he just excuses. To do
2: something completely different. That's right. Well, for a different audience, I guess, maybe.
1: Well, my love the, remains large for Carpenter. You're not going to hear me talk shit about Carpenter.
2: Yeah. The one thing that I really didn't like, though, was... Um, I guess they're using this as the reason that nobody ended up wanting to get an abortion. Was that weird dream that they had where they're, I don't know, communing with the Celestial whatever. That was really... that was easy beyond the charm
1: yeah i didn't like that you could have you said something about the mother's connection with the child or maybe the aliens did something to the mothers where they just they're compelled that's the whole cuckoo bird thing you know uh yeah you're gonna be forced to raise this child which on some level you know is not yours and that Mm -hmm. is horrifying and it's a note that they, they just don't play
2: yeah oh yeah i mean as a as a woman of childbearing age who has chosen not to parent, that idea just fucking terrifies me. <laughs> I would not want it. I guess I didn't, you know, maybe need the movie as much to, to show me that terror because I felt it immediately. <laughs> yeah,
1: you're on board.
2: And also the mind reading thing because I don't think that I would effectively be able to, you know, build that wall or have those ocean waves to be able to block those evil kids' mind reading powers.
1: Yeah, that was so, interesting. I would
2: be dead immediately, probably.
1: Christopher Reeve's characters seem to have a special gift, a strength, to be able to resist them uh, melding him. But instead of them being threatened by this, they seem to respect him for that and they ask him to be their teacher. That's <laughs> hmm. kind of. Interesting and not necessarily in a bad way. In another way, you'd think, like, if this guy is resistant to him, they'd want him to stay far away or they'd see him as a threat or a problem, but they seem almost interested.
2: Well, and I kind of took that as, um, you know, even though he can do this, they feel certain that he's no match for them, so it's fine, you know. (laughs) Um, And I did actually, even though it was quite a simple effect, I did like the visual of them kind of breaking through his mind
1: wall yeah no and that stuff that could be cheesy again it's another one of those things where you're rolling the dice a little bit but it worked in that instance and like i say the movie did work upon revisiting it a lot better than i remembered so so that's good that's good good enough yep that was six remakes reviewed and now about to be ranked. Mireille, thank you so much for diving on this grenade. I wish that the list had been a little stronger for you, but I am so appreciative that you volunteered and that like you chose it. So, so I'm happy. I had a good time talking about it. And even though I didn't love all the movies, I, I, I like watching cheesy horror movies. I don't know if you picked this up, but, uh, even considering the controversy of the remake sort of genre I think this is kind of a weak list uh, honestly if I if I'm real um, but uh, where do you land on it what was your least favorite of these six remakes and why number
2: six the fog <laughs> the and reason that you pardon. wanted
1: to watch the movie the reason I wanted to
2: watch the movies on this list is my least favorite and hey, maybe that's part of the reason why I kind of really wanted it to be, if not good at least fun to watch and it wasn't really Yeah. so, number six number five, I put The Haunting because the, you know, the caliber of the cast the, how good the house looked. It really should have been a better movie, and I just really didn't like the way they handled the moving statues. Just didn't work. Number four, Thirteen Ghosts, just because too many things were annoying, and yeah, I didn't get the bouncy fun that you got out of it. I mean, it had its moments, and I did like a lot of the visuals, and... It had a lot of good qualities, but, yeah, the bad outweighed the good for me. Fair enough. Number three, The Grudge. I liked a lot of the creepiness, but... And The Eye and The Grudge, for me, were very, very close, and in the end, I gave number two... I put The Eye in number two because it had the advantage of having Parker Posey, and I also really liked the the premise... It was way more interesting than the premise of The Grudge, which was basically just, you know, uh passion, murder. And number one was Village of the Dam*, just because it was so darn charming, and it kind of exceeded my expectations in a way that none of the other movies on this list did.
1: All right. I mean, uh, we don't line up, but I don't think we're going to scrap. It's, it is it 13 Ghosts to, uh, the, that's really messing us up here. I think I just watched On the Right Day. I was much more forgiving to its eccentricities than you were. Um, and we, we, we're different on the bottom, but I think we're more or less on the same note. I put The Haunting at the bottom. But you see, I have this personal investment in that I loved the book and I loved the original movie. And so it, it actually stung a little bit more for me. Like, it, it felt almost like it was being personally attacked. And it's such good source material. And instead of doing it, they kind of did the opposite of it. It's. It, it hurt my feelings a little. <laughs> so, uh, I had to put it at the bottom of the list. Yann DeBanz only made one other movie, I think, after this. It was like a Tomb Raider movie. I, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think, like, he did make Speed and he did make Twister. I think that he probably had other great movies in him, but... uh This one was kind of laughed out of the theaters, and uh, I think his feelings were a little bit hurt. Uh, If you watch, again, special features on the DVDs, which are kind of fun, they're super dated, you get the feeling the people making this movie really thought they had something, and uh, I disagree. I disagree. (laughs) I put The Fog in fifth place, and, uh, yeah, you have this investment with your childhood experience. I would encourage you to revisit Carpenter's Fog, (laughs) because... I think it's a worthy watch, and because you have that personal attachment to it, it scared you when you were a kid, I think you'll appreciate it. But no, this one was bland sauce, and I really didn't like the ending, and even the few things that they did to change, or, or let, I can see how they were like trying to update things, and they weren't necessarily bad decisions, but the movie just never got exciting or scary to me, and uh, that's a problem if you're a horror movie. So, yes... All the way in fourth place, I put the eye, And I think it's the missed opportunity thing that's pissing me off here. Like, like we talked about all the stuff that was in the movie or suggested in the movie, but not adequately explored. It's so close to being a good movie that it actually comes off worse than it is, I think, in some ways. So that's where I put the eye In third place, I put The Grudge. Again... I like the inexplicable, creepy beats of it, but I don't know that it works as a story, or if in fact it is one. But some people really like that. Like, there are people who really dig this, so if it sounds like it's your jam, don't let me talk you out of it. I mean, it it, it made the top half of it. Way overperforming, in second place, I am giving a guilty pleasure response to 13 Ghosts. Maybe I just needed fun at that point, and I got a little bit more fun out of this one. I don't know. Uh, maybe when I watch it again someday, I'll go, Jesus Larry. Or maybe it's just a real representation of how weak this list truly is. But uh, <laughs> it had energy and a sense of humor, and that was lacking in a lot of these ones. So it, I gave it second place. What can I say? I I, uh, I have other good qualities. Mireille. so uh, Yeah, I put Village of the Damned at the the top spot and again when i was coming to this list i wasn't really sure i knew it wasn't one of my favorite carpenter movies so it's actually improved in my esteem and a lot of movies that i watched from the early 90s that i liked when the early 90s have actually dropped in my esteem instead of improved so i guess we have to throw some extra points to carpenter and company for that but I do think they could probably take another crack at Village of the Damned. I think there's a lot of really great things to be mined out of this. It is certainly not the definitive version of the story, or even close to it. But it does the job, and if you're a Carpenter fan, or if you're intrigued by the story, by all means. Number one.
2: Yeah. You know what? Actually, that's kind of an interesting thing that maybe people should do, is like do the same story in a hardcore horror scary version and then do the sort of murder she wrote edit of the same story that'd be fun so then you could like your grandma could watch one and you could watch the other one and then you could talk about it
1: after <laughs> compare and contrast yeah <laughs> well thank you so much for coming once again to rank and review and uh, feel free to check out the pages on Facebook if anything else jumps at you <laughs> we, can, we can do this again sometime it's always good to, to chat with you and if I'm not mistaken, congratulations. I believe you are the only female guest I've had this season of Rankin Reviews so far. Not for yeah. lack of trying. Not for lack of trying, but uh <laughs> Well, it's my represent pleasure. girl. <laughs> Anything you'd like to say to the internet before I sign off? I have nothing to say to the internet. Take that. you don't internet. need to hear from me. <laughs> You're unworthy <laughs> internet. I <laughs> do And there it was. The 243rd episode of Rankin Review has come to an end. What did you think? How did we do with that rank? Were we too hard on these remakes? Were we not hard enough on these remakes? Do remakes suck, or was this just a particularly difficult list? Send your feedback to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Check out the website and listen to some old podcasts at rankinreview.ca. Please tell your friends about the show and check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show and the Terror Table Podcast. I drop every other Wednesday. Thank you so much for your ears. This is your host around Canadian Larry Parsons and I'll talk to you soon.